You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Hi, I'm Lauren, Education Editor at Campus Review. Today I spoke to Jamie Beaton, the 22-year-old co-founder of Crimson Education, a consulting service that helps students gain admission to Ivy League and other top universities around the world. Why are people interested in gaining admission to Ivy League or top universities? So I think the main reason is that many of these universities in the US and the UK, as well as other countries, um, some of them offer very competitive job opportunities and career progression, as well as really amazing alumni networks and uh, academic programs. So the key thing basically is that, you know, for any one subject, whether it be engineering or computer science or, you know, uh, the arts, um, there are programs globally of varying quality, and many students now who are very willing to travel internationally want to go to the best-ranked programs they can in a particular area. So um, uh, we're seeing a real uh, interest in Australian students and trying to find the most competitive global programs that are best for whatever their interests are and pursuing them. That's the main thing. The second thing is that uh, in the U.S. particularly, there's a liberal arts degree structure, which means that in the first year and really throughout the duration, there's a lot of room to explore and try different coursework in different areas. So, for example, for me at Harvard, I took coursework in uh, negotiation, Judaism and Christianity. Um, I took classes in corporate finance and investment banking. I took classes in you know, uh, pure mathematics. So it's a very broad range. And you can focus on when you want to, but it does let you explore, which is quite different to the very structured degrees in places like some of the Aussie and New Zealand universities. So I'd say um, uh, that's also a big driver for why the U.S. is particularly ticking up at the moment. And you noted that there's been a surge in the last two years. Is there any particular reason for that? So there's two things happening right now. There's a general uh, steady beating drum of more and more applicants from Australia heading overseas. But the particular driver of the massive spike um, in applications we're seeing is as a result of a lot of increased interest in using Crimson to go overseas and a lot of our awareness and marketing that we've been doing across Australia to build, a, you know, build um, you know, understanding this platform and skills. So we've been doing a lot of great work with uh, principals and also counsellors across various states, uh, like, for example, Victoria, where we're educating these uh, counsellors on the US-UK pathways. They've been, in turn, educating the students. And many students then come into Crimson to navigate uh, a silly complicated process and get a great outcome. So um, I would say it's, it's our active work in promoting this, these pathways um, that's really driving a lot of that spike. Um, the other thing driving this is that many of the universities in recent years have had uh, much uh, more developed international financial aid programs. So there's always been a myth uh, in Australia that overseas study for the undergrad is very expensive. But, you know, uh, many of the programs in the US, actually, in the UK too, but particularly the US, have very substantial uh, scholarship financial aid offerings. So many of our students go over on full rides or very subsidised uh, fees. Um, and, uh, you know, say schools like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, um, you know, Williams, which is a top liberal arts college, They've got so much funding for international students. So, yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity, which can be actually more cost-effective than domestic options in some cases. Um, but, yeah, so that's another big attraction has been the understanding around financial aid. Sure. So, uh, obviously, if financial aid isn't an issue, what are some of the barriers that uh, potential applicants might face in uh, getting into one of these universities? Well, because of the quality of universities, and I'll give you an example. In my, in my class at Harvard, about half of my graduating class went into consulting, uh, finance, or technology. Um, you know, going to work at places like Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, Facebook, Amazon, um, Uber, very exciting companies. And many of these companies actually recruit on campus 
And so, you know, there's a lot of security for you in going through your degree pathway as to great, great opportunities immediately upon graduation. Because the opportunities are so good at these schools, naturally there's so many applications that are very competitive. And it's because there's so much financial aid available that now students in the middle of Nigeria um, from, you know, more challenged backgrounds as well as people, in, you know, from affluent communities in Beijing can still be applying. And so as a result, uh, the application caliber has really increased. And thus, the major hurdle is just the competitiveness of it and also the complexity. So in applying for the U.S., for example, they look at your last four years of high school, including academics, extracurriculars, leadership, annual personality, and various characteristics about you, as well as family background. And so this, this whole you know, holistic process and the degree of competition makes it quite a hurdle in general. So what does it take to get in if you meet all of those baseline requirements? So the really fascinating thing about, say, the American process, and also the UK one too, is unlike Australia, where there's fixed ATAR cutoffs for many degree programs, and upon meeting those cutoffs, you definitely get in. In the US and UK, um, it's more like a relative cutoff, where they've got a particular number of class students they want to recruit from particular parts of the world, and also the general class pool. And so there's no actually absolute cutoff. So you might, for example, get like a particular ATAR score, or get a particular SAT score, but that never necessarily ticks the box uh, by itself, it's always relative competition. And so what that means is that, you know, there's not really a point where you can tick every box and guarantee you're going to get into a place like Yale or Princeton. Um, it's really needing to differentiate every year. That's why we spend a lot of time with our students on things like leadership consulting, which is a program we provide that supports students taking their interest and turning them into projects and campaigns, whether it be, you know, a charity event for cerebral palsy awareness or a youth engagement in politics, which we're doing now in New Zealand with the election. So um, it's many of these differentiated activities at a very high stage, as well as you know, great academics, um, amazing essays, all of that comes together to make a standard application. But um, if you view it like a kind of a checkbox thing you've got to proceed through, it usually doesn't generate a good outcome. And should Australian universities be worried about students looking abroad for better options now that they're able to do so more easily? I, I mean, I think it's, competition's very healthy because ultimately what generates the best outcomes for Australia is amazing, well-educated youth that can come back and add value in their communities, study domestically, but also study internationally. So I think um, they should be, and, you know, uh, competition is always healthy. Um, and we're seeing amazing work out of the Aussie universities. So they're, they're doing very well in international rankings. ANU recently hired a new uh, leader, um, I think a, a vice-chancellor who had a Nobel Prize in economics and studied at Wharton. Um, maybe not in economics, but Nobel Prize. So, you know, his background, his desire is to make ANU off the caliber of an Ivy League school, for example. So um, many of these universities are having to compete. Um, and that's actually making the program better, more rigorous. They're investing more in uh, some of their curriculum development. So, yeah, they should be aware of this trend, uh, but also it's very beneficial for the student, ultimately. Do you think that given the imminent and already occurring disruption in higher education that these prestige brand name universities will continue to be as prestigious as they are now in the future? So I actually think they'll become progressively more uh, prestigious and the reason why is because if you look at a trend of applications to these universities over time the applications are skyrocketing so many of the schools have seen double the number of applicants today than they did about five or six years ago um, at the top end. And that is uh, you know, really a function of demand. So you're seeing demand skyrocketing. And part of the reason why is for many years, university degrees were viewed as sort of something that it's really good to have and valuable. But where you got it from doesn't really matter too much. And you know, recruiters from companies were, were sort of less selective and focused on that. 
But many companies around the world are very focused now on university degrees and also the caliber of the programs. There's a lot more information available about the different quality of programs. And so as a result, um, you're seeing way more applications uh, as well as opening up. And you know, the more demand there is, uh, the more prestigious these programs become. And the other thing is these universities have very, very developed uh, recruiting methods for uh, donors. And so they've got traditionally a very, very large uh, endowment, like Harvard's got a endowment of around $35 billion. And what this means, they continue to reinvest in amazing facilities, professors, um, you know, they can recruit top students, uh, you know, without needing to pay any tuition. And so all of this creates a very powerful self-filling cycle where many of the world's best universities become progressively better and better and better. So um, that, that is uh, really, I guess, a trend that will continue to see the U.S. universities rise in prominence. Um, yeah, so I think definitely we'll see that continue. And is there any sort of possible political threat to universities, especially those in America, that you think is on the horizon? So actually, um, I mean, in the year following uh, Trump's election, the numbers to many U.S. universities has actually continued to increase quite, quite dramatically. So um, what we've seen is an international student base um, that has continued to grow really rapidly. Australia has you know, spiked dramatically in the last year. So um, Trump is really not really having any impact on demand. In terms of his actual policies, um, he's talked a lot about international uh, visas. And the key thing here is a lot of his policies are focused on cutting down on migration of low-skilled workers, um, you know, particularly from places like India, where a lot of his focus has been, um, which he views as competing with American jobs. But he's generally very supportive of uh, highly skilled labor. And um, off, on the campaign trail, I've mentioned many times how he thinks it's quite you know, nuts how people can come from great countries like um, internationally, come to the U.S., uh, get a great degree, and then you know, we don't try and keep them in America. So actually, um, I think Trump is very pragmatic, uh, and uh, when it comes to you know uh, these highly educated international students moving to America, he's very supportive of that. So I think actually his administration won't really create much of a shift for what we think international students. Um, I think uh, yeah, um, that it probably yeah it probably is not going to have much of an impact either way. If anything, uh, his sort of work on tax policies. Uh, may make it marginally more attractive for international companies to move the HQs more to America, um, and that you know may actually increase the uh, interest in going to many of these top universities in America. Furthermore, so yeah, I think it's um it's it's difficult to see the Trump administration being anything but you know marginally positive or neutral for uh, these universities. And I guess I have to mention Brexit as well. Uh, what do you think? the flow-on effects of that might be on the English university system in terms of international uh, students? Yeah, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, uh, many of these programs in the UK, they're, they're very well-funded still, but nowhere near as well-funded as some of the American schools. And uh, many of the students in the EU can currently study at these universities for uh, domestic rates rather than international rates. So I think what you'll see is that some of the uh, lesser-ranked universities um, in the UK may struggle to get the student numbers they previously did, as you know, now students staying in, say, the Eurozone um, may find cheap options elsewhere. But when it comes to, say, the, the Russell Group and the top competitive universities in the UK, um, I think it's you know, uh, not really likely to change much. In fact, it might actually just increase revenue to universities because you know, students throughout, say, Germany that want to go to Oxford, it's such an awesome experience. Um, you know, uh, even though the universities are free locally, they're still going in droves to Oxford because of such a great degree. So the fact they can now charge international student rates may actually be a more sustainable option for the most competitive schools. So I think it'll be a situation where the market will bifurcate 
the top universities uh, will, will probably become marginally better off with more revenue and hence you know more funding, and the universities that are less off uh, will start losing out to you know eurozone-based universities. The other thing I would add is we also support many Australian students to applying to broader schools throughout um, the eurozone, and there's many options in say Germany um, for free, uh, even for international students or dramatically reduced universities. So I think um, uh, the key thing here is that people should be looking globally, and you know. Um, we're sending many students to various parts of Europe. Um, even we sent a student to a Russian university recently. So um, it's quite an interesting opportunity. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, what I'd like to add is that in Australia growing up, you know, we often hear about the universities that, you know, are sort of well-known through movies, places like Harvard and Stanford and Yale and Princeton, you know, from things like Gossip Girl and stuff. But but the beautiful thing about America and also the international stage of, uh, you know, universities is there's amazing places in, say, you know, the Middle East, like New York University, Abu Dhabi. There's schools in Singapore, like Yale in US. Um, there's places like, you know, Swarthmore, Amherst, Amherst, Williams, which are top liberal arts colleges in the US. People in Australia often haven't heard of. So the key thing for university is fit. It's finding a university which you'll really succeed in that matches your interests and character and quality and isn't just based on rankings alone. And so many of our students heading to uh, America at the moment, um, many are opting for these very competitive Ivy League schools, but also many are opting for equally competitive um, but very uh, unique programs, whether it be the Rhode Island School of Design or like Juilliard or places like that. So I would encourage students and also um, teachers at schools to really consider you know, a really broad mandate for um, what the student is you know, best fit for. And that's been part of our success, definitely focusing on the student's needs rather than just ranking. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for calling all the way from Stanford. No worries. It was a lot of fun.